Esther chapter 5 tonight, looking at the way of faith and the way of folly. The way of faith and the way of folly. Esther chapter 5. The way of faith and the way of folly. Beginning there in verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the, king, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king... And Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come to the king, come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. You know, I think you've realized by now in your life that we have two ways in which we can go. And you know, in Matthew chapter 7, right there in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He talked about the two roads, the broad road that leads to destruction, the narrow road that leads to life. He talked about the two gates. 
He talked about the two different kinds of trees. One tree that bears good fruit and the other tree that bears bad fruit. He talked about two kinds of builders. One builder builds on the rock, the other builds on the sand. Both builders experience the same storms, the same wind, the same floods, the same rain, but very different outcomes. Well, folks, tonight we're going to see people on two different kinds of paths with vastly different outcomes. And what we're going to see specifically tonight is how God works in the lives of of the faithful, how God works in the lives of the faithful, how he works in the lives of his children. And we're going to continue to see that, that theme played out for the rest of the book. In fact, we're going to even notice tonight that before we see what God is doing, God's already at work. There's never a time God is not at work. Even before we see it. And I think some of you can probably relate to that. There were times in your life that you were going through something and and you didn't see at the moment what God was doing. But today as you look back on it, you see now what God was doing and it makes sense to you. God's at work even when we don't see it. Well, the first thing I want you to see with me tonight is a bold step of faith. A bold step of faith. Look again at verses 1 and 2. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. I want you to notice what Esther does here. Folks, she literally lays her life on the line. And I want you to realize that. She lays her life on the line. Because what was the rule? In Persia, among Persian kings, if you came into his presence without being invited and he didn't extend the scepter to you, you were killed. And in chapter 4, Esther's argument to Mordecai, why she couldn't go into the king, was he had not summoned her in 30 days. She says, he's, he's not called for me. If I go into his presence... I'll die. But here we see her going into his presence in behalf of her people. Folks, she is literally laying her life on the line. I see some similarities here, perhaps a little bit, a little different flavor, if you will, but very much kind of like Rahab in the book of Joshua, right? Because Rahab hid the spies. If her own people would have caught her doing what she did, they would have killed her. There's a discovery that's been made in the archaeological discoveries of Persia of a Persian king sitting on his throne and he's holding his royal scepter. Behind him 
is standing one of the Median soldiers. The Persian and Median Empire, a Median soldier. And that soldier is holding a very large axe in his hand. In other words, either the king would extend his scepter to you and you would live... Or if the king did not extend the royal scepter to you, the soldier would come over and cut you in half with the axe. Now what's interesting about what we see right here also is that in a Jewish midrash, a Jewish midrash is some of the rabbinical commentaries on the Old Testament scripture. In one of the midrashes uh, that deals with this particular passage right here, it talks about the third day. And the fact that God will not leave his children suffering or in despair more than three days. And the Jewish Midrash cites the examples of Abraham and Jacob and Jonah. Three days. Now folks, what do Christians immediately think of? The resurrection. Three days in the grave. Believers in despair. But on the third day, victory. God judged sin at the cross and three days later he raised his son to life. He did not leave his children in despair. Well, what makes Esther's actions even more astounding in a good way is that Esther Esther didn't know the outcome. We know the outcome, don't we? We know the outcome because we have the opportunity of of having the chance of reading the whole story and how things turned out. But she didn't. She's living these verses. We're reading about them centuries and centuries later. She's living them at the time. She had no idea how all of this was going to turn out. And yet, she goes before the king. She lays her life on the line. I tell you somebody else I think of. I think of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. You remember how when he met with the Ephesian elders and they warned him about going to Jerusalem and they were weeping and, and he says, listen, I am ready to go bound if necessary to Jerusalem. He didn't know what waited for him there, and yet he knew that God had called him to go that direction, that God had called him to go back to Jerusalem. And despite what was waiting him there, Paul was ready to go. Not knowing the outcome, he was ready to go. Folks, that's what faith does. That's faith. It's not a step into the dark, but it is faith. It's faith because you don't know the outcome. And the Bible says that is how we are to live. We are to live by faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
And Hebrews 11 cites the examples of all of those Old Testament saints who did what they did because of faith. And Hebrews 11 talks about how faith isn't just words. Words are cheap. Faith is seen in what we do with those words. Well, it did turn out well for Esther. But again, she didn't know this at the time. I think also of those three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Remember what they told the king? Know this, old king, that our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you and your idols. That's faith, isn't it? God's able to deliver us. He may not. But even if he doesn't, we're still taking our stand and we will not bow. What a great statement. Now, what's also important to see as we get into Esther chapter 5 is this whole scenario has been bathed in prayer. Remember how chapter 4 closed out? Look back to chapter 4. She says in verse 16, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I, I perish. What were they doing along with fasting? They were praying. This whole situation has been bathed in prayer. Folks, when God leads us to do something that is a bold step of faith, we need to pray and we need to get God's people praying. How many times do we venture into things and we've not even prayed about it? Esther had people praying. And so what we see here is that God was already at work. Now the second thing I want you to see with me is a generous offer. A generous offer beginning there in verse 3. The king said to her, what is it Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Look at what the king offers. It's a generous offer. Up to half of my kingdom... Esther, in other words, basically, I'm giving you a blank check. Now, folks, sometimes when we do what God would have us to do, we we find that God has already gone before us 
And God is ready to do some pretty awesome things. What's, what's Ephesians 3.20 say? God is able to do far exceedingly above and beyond even what we could ask or even think. Isn't that a great verse? God goes above and beyond what we ask. You know, a lot of us never learn what God is willing to do because we don't go to Him with this kind of faith. We don't trust Him with our finances. We don't trust Him with our relationships. We don't trust Him with our marriages. We don't trust Him with our careers. We don't see what God's able to do. Because we don't trust Him. And we don't ask Him to do anything. That's sad. Here's God willing to help us, willing to grant petitions that are inside the scope of His will, but we don't even take the bold step to come to Him. And until we do, we'll never see what God can do. A lot of Christians will never witness in their lifetime what God is able to do because they won't trust Him. They'll go through life saved if they've come to God through faith in Christ. They're saved, but they never truly understand the gracious provision of God and how great it is. Now, notice that Esther shows great restraint. It's time, it, it's not time, rather, it's not time yet to lay it all on the line. She simply asked that they come to a banquet and then she, she asked that they do the same the next day, that they come the next day to this great banquet she's going to have prepared for. Why didn't she just put the request out there? Because if you read ahead to the next chapter, you see some pretty important things have to happen that night, right? God's not done working yet. So apparently it's God that has put on her heart that she's not to lay it all on the line yet. She's to ask him to come back the next day. Unknown to Esther, Haman hasn't made the plan yet with the gallows. He's going to build gallows to, to hang Mordecai, but it's his own gallows that he's going to up, have ended up building. Plus, God's going to reveal to the king in the night that nothing has ever been done for Mordecai five years earlier when Mordecai had saved his life. See, folks, all of that still got to happen that night. So, God, you know, God's got a perfect sense of timing. God's at work. He's got a perfect sense of timing. And so, I understand the text that it's God that has held Esther back 
from putting it all on the line until the next day. Well, a third thing I want you to see, the, de- the de- deceptive pride of unbelief. The deceptive pride of unbelief. Verse 9 says, And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. And then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come in with the king to the feast that she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Haman has made all of this about him. He's made it all about him. It's gonna, in a way, it's going to be about him, all right. Not the way he thinks, but it's going to be about him. But just look at him here. He's feeling pretty good about himself. Not only does he have the ear of the king, but he also has the ear of the queen. He's the only one that's been invited to the banquet. And what's more... He's invited the next day. He's going to get to hear this matter that the queen is going to let the king know about. I mean, he's telling his family, hey guys, I'm on the inside track. Look at me. I've got my pulse on everything going on in the empire. He's a happy man. And so he goes on to boast about all of his wealth and of his children, his position, everything. Nowhere does he give God any credit whatsoever because he's a wicked man. He He doesn't follow God. He's only thinking of himself and what he's done. He's making life all about him. He's kind of like the famous actor John Barrymore. John Barrymore once said, The only regret that I have of my years spent in the theater is that I could not sit in the audience and watch myself. Now that's pride, isn't it? Haman is a true child of the world. He's just like the man in Luke chapter 12. The man in Luke chapter 12 who said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger and better ones and I'm going to fill them up and I'm going to say to myself, self, you've got it made. Sit back and eat and drink and be merry. Folks, that is a deceptive way to live because life is a vapor. None of us have any kind of guarantee of tomorrow. None of us. And that's why Jesus said we need to be keeping our eyes on God and we need to be laying up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust 
don't corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal. We need to have the right focus in life. We dare not put our eyes on ourselves or what we can acquire or accumulate in this life or any kind of positions that we can gain in life. If that's where our trust is, then folks, we don't really have anything, do we? You know, we can have the whole world at our fingertips and everything can come unraveled tomorrow. No guarantees in a fallen world. No security in this world whatsoever. Notice too how people can be who live this way. Haman, Haman has everything. And yet, is he content? Is he satisfied? He's not, is he? He has everything, and yet he's still miserable, all because of one man by the name of Mordecai. How sad to have so much, and one little thing can upset your world. You know, it's been said that the the character of a man can be measured by what irritates him. The character of a man can can be measured by what irritates him. If small things in life irritate him all the time, then he's a small man with a small character. Here's a man who's been promoted to basically the position of, of prime minister in the land and, and here is just one lone figure who will not bow to him. And so in the big scope of things, I mean, that's nothing. But Haman can't let it go. And he won't let it go. Again, he's got the wrong focus. You can't help but think about another king in the Old Testament. You know who I'm talking about? Who wanted one thing that he couldn't have? Ahab. What did Ahab want? He wanted Naboth's uh, vineyard. And Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. And old King Ahab, he was crying like a baby. I want that vineyard and he won't sell it to me. Of course, we know what happened. Jezebel said, I'll get it for you. And she concocted that scheme and had Naboth murdered. When Haman tells his family, they all come up with an evil plan. People who have the wrong focus in life, those who live without God, will do just about anything sometimes. To get what they want. Have you ever noticed that? Folks, we're, we're living in a day and age today where the wicked, if you have something they want, they'll kill you for it. And they won't even think twice. That's the kind of world we live in. But that's how Haman is. Way back then, this is how Haman is. He's going to kill Mordecai, or so he thinks, so he can finally have everything that he wants. 
And so he tells all his family what's going on, and, and they, they tell him to have Mordecai killed. Another lesson here, you better be very careful who you take your counsel from. If you take counsel from people who have no respect for God and do not value human life at all, you better watch out the kind of counsel you're going to get. All of this shows the the folly and the blindness of human pride. Now, folks, as we look at chapter 5, you you can't find a bigger contrast. Here's a woman of faith, and here's a man of the world. Here's Esther. She's trusting God. She's putting her life on the line for what's right in God's sight. God's about to bless her and her people incredibly so. God's about to bless them beyond measure. And on the other hand, here is wicked Haman. He's a man full of pride. He's living only for the glory of the moment. And he's willing and ready to step on anybody who gets in his way. And the one thing about both people, the one thing about both people is that God sees and God knows. God sees and God knows. Our way is not hidden from the Lord. Remember Isaiah 40 about that? The people of Judah were saying, well, we, get, we guess our way is hidden from God. He doesn't, he doesn't see what we're going through. And in Isaiah 40, saying, have you not seen, have you not heard the everlasting God? He doesn't slumber or sleep. God who created everything that is and knows all the stars by by name and calls out all the starry hosts by name and he has them all numbered. He knows your way. He sees and he knows. It's a great comfort for the people of God and it ought to be a great warning to the wicked. Goes both ways, doesn't it? God sees and God knows about everybody and everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. He's providential, He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent. God sees. We need to remember that. And so we need to choose very wisely how we live and how we walk and who we put our trust in and what we do. Because God sees and God knows. Some lessons I want to give you tonight in closing. Lesson number one, just as Esther put on her royal robes and went into the king and identified with her people, so too must Christians declare our stand. She went in and declared her stand. We have to declare our stand. 
Now, in doing so, she put her life on the line. As Christians, we've got to be willing to put our lives on the line for the sake of our faith in Christ. A second lesson, as Esther identified with her people who were suffering, so we too must identify with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have needs. Folks, we cannot remain aloof and distant to the needs of fellow believers. We can't do everything, but each of us is called on to do what we can for the sake of others who need us. We can't do everything, but we can do what we can do. And we are to do what we can do. For the sake of others. Esther had to learn that lesson. That she, she wasn't an island unto herself. And we need to see that we're not an island to ourselves. There are needs. And we identify with people's needs. And when it's in our power to help, we are to help. Third lesson, human pride and evil desires are never satisfied. Human pride and evil desires are never satisfied. People like Haman go from bad to worse and do not care who they hurt. But we can be confident that God will deal with such people in his timing. But human pride and evil desires are never satisfied. So again, those lessons. Just as Esther put on her royal robes, went into the king, identified with her people, she took a public stand. You and I must take a public stand for Christ. Even if it means putting our lives on the line. Again, secondly... Esther identified with her people who were suffering. She did what she could. We are not an island to ourselves. We are to identify with people who are hurting. And we're to meet their needs when it's in our power to do so. And thirdly, lastly, human pride and evil desires are never satisfied. People like Haman go from bad to worse and do not care who they hurt. And that explains a lot of the wickedness that we see in the world. There are some people who don't know God and are satisfied to live wicked lives. They don't care. Any questions, any comments before we go to our prayer time? Next week, it's going to really get good. We're going to see the great reversal. Well, when you think about 
when you think about ancient times and how bad things were and, and the early church and all the suffering they did, there were more martyrs for Christ in the 20th century than in the 19 centuries preceding that combined. More martyrs for Christ in the 20th century than in the 19 centuries combined previous to that. So you're right. Uh, and you know, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, as time goes on, 2 Timothy chapter 3, men are going to wax from bad to worse. It's not going to get better before Christ returns. It's going to get worse. Haman's all around. Haman's abound. You know, think of Hitler also. Um, So yeah, exactly. Wicked, Wicked schemes like this aren't simply a thing of the past. They're... They're very contemporary, too. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Sometimes we think, what can I do? I'm just one. But sometimes we see here, one can do a great deal. (laughs) Yep. Richard? Uh, I, I certainly think it's a case study in human imperfections. Um, others have made that same contrast between Daniel and Daniel's three friends and Mordecai and Esther. And how Daniel and his three friends seemed so godly and so pure. How Esther and Mordecai, um, they're in a foreign land. They didn't go back to their homeland. They stayed in the foreign land by choice. And when it appears that Esther was to go in and spend the night with the king without being married to him, she did. And we know that because those who spent the night 
the text says they went into the second harem, which was the concubines after they'd spent the night with the king, those who weren't chosen. So, but, but what writers talk about, while there's the contrast between Daniel and his three friends and Mordecai, Mordecai and Esther don't seem to rise to the level of Daniel, yet God used them. Uh, and it shows how God uses imperfect people, and life is messy at times. And, you know, we think in the Bible, we, we read the lives of saints in the Bible, and we think they always lived sterile, perfect lives. And we see that they didn't always live that way. And yet, God, God used his people. Oh, I, oh! I know what you're saying. Yes, right. But you're you're only noticing what others have that she and Mordecai don't seem to rise to the standard of a Daniel. And yet, look at how God used them. It's it's really an encouragement to people today who have fallen short and made mistakes and certainly live imperfect lives some people sometimes say well can God use me and I think the book of Esther would say yes yes